Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Care Pastor Angie Eddy has part three of the Life After series with a message titled, Awe and Wonder. Good morning. Now it's my turn. I get to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. Can we just give it up for all the moms that are in the room? We are so, so grateful for you all. I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning um, on Mother's Day. It is my third Mother's Day as a mom. You might have seen my little guy running around here. His name is Harvey. Um, I'd love to show you a picture of my family. This is my whole world. This is my husband, Jeremiah. And that's Harvey. I'll show you a little better picture because, you know, pictures with toddlers. That's Harvey. That's my buddy. That's what I do so often, too, (laughs) when I see him. He really is very often that happy. He is um, my favorite thing in the whole world. I absolutely love, love, love being a mom. And in my little over two years of being a mom, I've learned a lot, mostly that I don't know much uh, as a mom. And it has made me very much appreciate so many women in my life. There are so many amazing moms sitting here in this room. And so I just want to say from all of us, if you are a new mom or a mom of littles or an empty nest mom or you love being a mom in this moment or you're like, what am I doing with my children? or if you're a stepmom or foster mom or adoptive mom or a furry baby mom, I just want to say a huge happy Mother's Day to you guys. We love and appreciate you so much. So thank you so much for all you do. You are amazing. Um, And I also just want to acknowledge this too, that I do realize that for some of you in the room, today might feel a little difficult, might bring up some memories. Um, For myself and my family, this is our first Mother's Day without my mother-in-law. And so I very much understand that as much as we celebrate today, um, if you have maybe a difficult relationship with your mom, or maybe you are a mom who has lost a child, we're praying for you. We are here with you, and you are very much seen and loved by God. So know that you're not alone today. But I did just want to say this too. Personally, for me, Mother's Day, yes, it's about moms, but I just want to take a second and honor all of the women in the room. Because I, as I'm sure this is the case for you, I am where I am today and who I am today because of a whole lot of women. Uh, My mom has loved the Lord for all of her life, grew up dragging me to church every Sunday, sometimes twice. I'm not kidding, we would go all the time. Uh, My grandma prayed her heart out for me. Um, I had so many small group leaders who particularly in their like early 20s spent a ton of time with me investing in me, pouring into me when I was in middle school and high school, um, and so many countless friends and coworkers who have uh, loved me and shown me what it means to be a wife and a mom and to be a human who follows Jesus and loves Jesus. And so um, for all of the ladies in the room, this is what I want to say to you. You were made in the image of the most high God of the universe. And you are so incredibly loved and significant. Can we just talk about this for just a second? He wasn't done with creation until he had us as women. That means there is something that we show the world about who God is that nothing and no one else can show the world. So ladies, I honor you today. Know that you are seen and so significant and you mean the world to us. So that's all that. 
Thank you, ladies. All right. I should probably get to the thing that I'm supposed to be talking about this morning, right? Well, we are in a series called Life After, and I am really, really excited um, to be talking about this this morning because we have been looking at what it means to be people of the resurrection, right? We've been talking about the fact that because of Jesus and what he did, we have power to the resurrection and the new life that he's promised us today in this moment, certainly forever and for eternity, but also right now. We've also been talking about the fact that there's a wrestle with this, right? That even though we're Easter people living on this side of the resurrection, there's a lot of times that we don't really live like the reality of the resurrection happened. So today I want to share something with you about what it means to be resurrection people, how we can be people of the resurrection. And this is actually something that I'm learning as a mom as well, that this journey of motherhood has been teaching me. So I would just love to pray and invite God to speak this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to see you more clearly today. I just think about the fact that we've already been singing the truths about who you are. We've created some space this morning, and God, we desire to see you in all of your goodness. So God, we invite you into this moment and pray that you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Harvey was born, like I said, a little over two years ago, January of 2020, just before the pandemic. Um, We had been married for... uh, about nine years before he was born. And um, so we waited a long time. And uh, to be honest with you, the last couple years that we were, or before I got pregnant, I really, really wanted to be a mom. And we weren't exactly sure if I was going to get pregnant, if we were going to actually have kids. And so when we did find out, it was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. I'm sure those of you who are moms have felt this like both excitement as well as, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? But it was amazing, incredible. I remember sitting and telling a friend of mine a couple days after I'd found out and I was like, Uh, this is happening. This is crazy. And so when Harvey was born, um, I have a picture of the moment where I met my little guy for the first time. This was the most perfect, awe-inspiring moment. I mean, all of a sudden, here was this perfect little life that I had been waiting for for a really long time, and I was just overcome by this deep sense of awe and wonder. If you have kids, I don't think that there's anything else in the whole world that really like awakens the sense of awe and wonder in us, like the birth of a child, right? What's interesting about these incredibly awe-inspiring moments is that simultaneously, they're the exact opposite. You might have noticed in the picture, I was surrounded by tubes and wires, and I was laying on an operating table. I had had a C-section. Don't worry. I'm going to spare you the details. You don't want to know about that. Um, But needless to say, it did not go as planned. Um, And I'm sure for most of you who have kids, you probably have a similar story. It did not go as planned. That is not unique to me. And therein lies one of the greatest challenges I think we often feel as moms. We live in this constant tension of being completely and totally stopped in our tracks by these beautiful, amazing little lives that we get to call our children while simultaneously wanting to send them back where they came from. (laughs) 
right? Um, I had a moment like this a couple of weeks ago. Let's be real. I have a lot of these moments. But I'm, I'm obsessed with my kid. I love him. I adore him. But we had a moment a couple of weeks ago uh, that did not go that way. We had just gotten home. And he needed to take a nap because I had a lot of stuff to do. I had a car full of groceries that I had to unload. We had uh, people coming over, and I had to get the house clean. It was a disaster. I mean, it is like stereotypical. Everything that is happening as a mom of littles was happening that day. And so he needed to go to bed, and we were on a timeline. And so I get home, I pull into the garage, and our garage is, it's really narrow, and so when I pull, it's a one-car garage, and so when I pull in, uh, I actually can't even open the passenger side door, it's really narrow. And so I get out to get Harvey, and he, for whatever reason, I don't know why he thinks this is the coolest thing, but while we're driving lots of places, he takes off his shoes and socks. I don't know. I don't understand. But he doesn't just take them off, he chucks them around the car. So... I get out, I notice that his shoes are on the other side of the car, on the passenger side, and I'm like, I do not have time for this business. I would literally have to get the car back out of the garage or pull the car seat out or whatever, and I'm like, this is crazy. So what do I do? I'm like, okay, he's two, he can go get his own shoes. So I'm getting the groceries out. Harvey, go get your shoes. He stands up and he goes, shoe. It was the cutest thing. And I'm like, okay, come on, give me your shoe, Harvey. And he just laughs at me. He does not give me the shoe. And I'm like, Harvey James, you need to give me the shoe. We need to go inside. And he just gets further away from me. And he goes, (laughs) and I, at this point, am getting very angry because I do not have time for this. And so then I pull out, he has two middle names. And I pull out the second middle name. I said, Harvey James Warner, give me the shoe. And he looks at me and he goes, no. Let me show you the face, because this is the face of my not-so-angelic little two-year-old that I want to show you, because that is the face he gave me. Yes. I'm sure you all, if you have children, have seen this face. But in that moment, man, I was so angry. There was no semblance of awe and wonder for that little baby boy that I had once had. It was all gone out the window. And let me be clear about something. He's still amazing. He's wonderful, but in that moment, I could not see it in the slightest. And so I ended up missing a moment of joy and silliness and laughter because my worry and to-do list and all of the things had robbed me of a sense of awe and wonder in that moment. And I think we live in a world where that happens a lot. There is very little awe and wonder that we get to experience. We're so busy. We're constantly reminded of the problems that we face in this world. And Mike Cosper in his book, Recapturing the Wonder, says that we are disillusioned and disenchanted. It's like life is just life. Like we get up, we make breakfast, we get the kids ready, we go to school, we go to work, we come home, we pay the bills, we take care of the house, we cook dinner, we get the kids to bed, shower, rinse, repeat. And like that's just the cycle, right? And it is not often enough that we are stopped in our tracks by a sense of awe and wonder about life, about creation, and about the blessings that we have from our incredible God. You know, we might have moments here or there, but then it's back to life as normal. But here's the truth. We are people of the resurrection. 
We live in a world where Jesus Christ rose from the dead and saved us from our sins. If that is not awe-inspiring, I don't know what is. And yet somehow we keep forgetting, right? One of the keys, I think, to living as people of the resurrection is to live with a sense of awe and wonder. But if we're not careful, there are things that will rob us of that beauty. We're going to look today at a story um, that actually also happens after Jesus rose. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 24. Um, It will be up on the screens as well if you want to follow along there. Um, But this is one of my favorite stories. It's really fun. He, uh, so Jesus had just risen from the dead. It actually takes place on Easter Sunday, okay? So earlier that morning, the women had gone to the tomb to see the body, right? Body wasn't there. They're all upset and nervous. Jesus ends up appearing to Mary Magdalene. They run back to all of the other followers of Jesus, tell them what they've experienced. So Peter and John run, they see the grave clothes, and the word starts to spread very quickly, right, about the fact that Jesus' body has disappeared and some of the women have been saying these things that Jesus rose from the dead, right? So we're going to pick up in Luke 24, verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, Then on the same day, Easter Sunday, we find two of them going off to Emmaus, which is a village about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now we know that one of these people, his name is Cleopas, and we don't know about the other person. We don't know who it is. It might have been a brother or a friend or maybe even his wife. We're not sure. But it says, as they went, they were deep in conversation about everything that had happened. While they were absorbed in their serious talk and discussion, Jesus himself approached and walked along with them, but something prevented them from recognizing him. Okay, so spoiler alert. So we as the readers know who it is. We know that Jesus has risen from the dead. We know that it's Jesus, but these two have no idea. They have no clue who this man is walking with them. So it says, then he spoke to them and he said, what is all this discussion that you're having on your walk? And they stopped, and their faces were drawn with misery. Because remember, as far as they knew, they'd seen Jesus die and was buried, and now his body has disappeared. So they're sad, and they don't know what they're going to do. And says, the one called Cleopas replied, you must be the only stranger in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened happened there recently. He's saying, where have you been? How have you not heard about what's going on? This has been a big deal. What things, asked Jesus. Oh, all about Jesus from Nazareth. There was a man, a prophet, strong in what he did and what he said, in God's eyes as well as the people's. Haven't you heard how our chief priests and rulers handed him over for execution and had him crucified? But we were hoping that he was the one who was to come and set Israel free. I want to stop there for just a second and point out the fact Cleopas and his companion we're not filled with hope in this moment. These two are heartbroken. All of their hopes and expectations of what their future might look like were buried with Jesus because they thought things were going to look so incredibly different. They thought he had been the Messiah, and as far as they know, his body has just disappeared. So they're sad, and they're scared, and they have no idea what to do next. So then Cleopas continues. He says, yes, and if that were not enough, it's getting on for three days since all this had happened, and some of the women have disturbed us profoundly. 
for they went to the tomb at dawn. And then when they couldn't find his body, they said that they had a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of our people went straight off to the tomb and found things just as the women had described them, but they didn't see him. They didn't see Jesus. So in other words, what they're saying is, we don't really know what to think about all of this. We think that these women were so over, overcome with their grief that they must be imagining things. There's no way that this man could have risen from the dead. I want to go back for a second to verse 16. It says, while they were absorbed in their serious talk and discussion, Jesus himself approached and walked along with them, but something prevented them from recognizing him. Another version says it this way, says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Here they are. They're recounting all of these events, these things of the last few days. They're totally lost in their grief over losing Jesus. And they're missing the fact that Jesus has risen and is standing right in front of them. Right in front of them. Now, we don't really know why Cleopas and his companion don't recognize Jesus. We don't know why. What I do think is interesting, though, is that they're not the only ones who don't recognize him, right? So when he revealed himself to Mary, she thought he was a gardener. When Peter and the other disciples saw him on the beach, they didn't know who he was. He was just some random guy telling them how to fish. So we don't know why they don't recognize Jesus. But when I read this story, I just could not help but ask the question, these men were standing before the risen Jesus and didn't recognize him. What keeps our eyes from recognizing the risen Jesus? You and me. What keeps our eyes from seeing him in all of his glory every day? You know, last week, um, they already talked about it. We celebrated baptism. Guys, that was an amazing week. I just want to say um, to all of you who got baptized, congratulations. Um, we're so excited for you. There is nothing uh, no greater decision that you could ever make in your entire life than saying yes to Jesus. And so for all of the people who got in the pool last week, it was certainly a powerful day. But I think if you were also there and you have gotten baptized before, whether it was six months ago or a couple years ago or decades ago, it was also really powerful for us, right? It was an amazing, amazing experience. I talked with somebody and they were just telling me, you know, I just get so emotional every time there's a baptism because I remember when that was me. I remember what Jesus saved me from. And I think there's so many times in our lives when we don't live in the awareness of that truth, in the awe and wonder that Jesus has come and risen and he has given me a new life. And I think if we're not careful, there's a few things that will rob us from experiencing that wonder. And I think the first one is this. Sometimes I just think we're too busy. We're too busy and we're hurried. I am a chronic busyaholic. Uh, I'm in recovery. Um, but if you're like me, your life is always busy. For a lot of years, um, it was completely normal for me to uh, work late, to be out all kinds of evenings, um, getting things done. Whenever somebody asked me, hey, Angie, how you doing? I would be like, oh, man, it's so busy. There's just so much going on. And then when I was home, I was very often distracted and consumed by my to-do list, and my poor husband was the one who had to pay the price for all of my busyness for so long. But then, you know what changed it? Harvey. <laughs> Having this sense of awe and wonder over this little boy 
completely changed it for me, and there's nothing else that matters to me more than my family. But I'll be honest, um, this pull, this pull to be busy and to spend my time and attention and focus on things that don't really matter is still there. And just the other night, Jeremiah looked at me. I was on my phone at dinner, and he's like, what are you doing? Is that for work? Put it away. Put it away right now. It is, it is something that I think, honestly, busyness and hurry is epidemic in our country. And I think even though while the pandemic, I think, slowed us down a little bit, now that things are starting to feel a little bit normal, I see that busyness and hurry starting to creep back in. We will fill our lives and our schedules so quickly. But I think, and maybe this is just me, but I think the busyness and hurry is actually a symptom of something completely different. I think we rush and fill our schedule so much because we are often trying to prove something to somebody else or even to ourselves. We're trying to prove a lot of times that we're good enough or capable or value valuable. And if I just do a little bit more and if I get it all done, then they will think better of me and I will feel okay about me. But on the other side of the grave, we have nothing to prove. We have absolutely nothing to prove. We already know that we're not good enough. That's exactly why Jesus came, right? The apostle Paul talks about the fact that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. So we already know that we don't have anything to prove because we already didn't prove it. But that's why Jesus came. So why are we running around so much trying to prove something When we are consumed by all the busyness, we are missing out on basking in the incredible love of Jesus that covers all of our shortcomings. I think another thing um, that can potentially rob us of the awe and wonder in our lives is when we're just not present. When we're not present in this moment. You know, I can so relate to where Cleopas and his companion were at. They had just lost their friend their master, their rabbi. They were, I mean, rightly so. They were overcome by grief and the pain that they had just experienced, right? And they were probably worried about the future too and what they were going to do. But what would have happened if they had just been present in that moment? You know, I think we spend a lot of time dwelling on the things that happened in the past the pain, the regrets, the different things that we've experienced. And we also simultaneously spend a whole lot of time focusing on our future, trying to plan for and control it. This is fascinating to me. I read a, um, a study a couple of years ago about, about mental health. And one of the things that it talked about was the fact that a lot of times when we're struggling with depression, it is because we are fixated on the things and the pain that happened in our past. And a lot of times... If we're struggling with anxiety, it's because we are fixated and focused and spending a lot of time and thought on the future and our fears about it and trying to control it. And it's so interesting to me because what ends up happening is that we miss the moment because of the things that we can't control anyway because we don't live in the past, we don't live in the future, we exist right here in this present moment, and when our thoughts are filled with those other things, we miss the awe and wonder of God's presence in the present and what he wants to do in this moment. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we ignore the pain of the past and we don't ever think about the future? No, of course not. It is healthy and good to think about those things. But when we spend more time thinking about those, then we miss the fact that in this moment, God says, I am with you. 
You have everything that you need. I've given you all of it for life and godliness. Because of me, healing is possible now, and I am here with you. The things that they said about you in your past, I say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So be here. Be with me in this present moment. And I think there's a third thing that a lot of times can rob us of our awe and wonder. And I think sometimes it's the wrong expectations that we have. You know, we said this already, we don't know exactly why they didn't recognize Jesus, but one thing that we, that we do know that's really clear, they were not expecting him to show up. They were not expecting that he was going to show up and walk along the road with them, right? And when he did, it was certainly not in the way that they were expecting, Because they, like all other Jewish people, had this picture of the fact that when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to be a warrior, a political leader, someone who was going to take out Rome and free their people, right? And so they did not expect him to rise from the dead and be walking down the street with them in their grief and in their fear. That is not what they were expecting. And isn't that so true of us sometimes? This is so true for me. Most of the time, I am so busy with my own life that I don't even expect that he's going to show up because I have just my field of vision that I see. Or we're facing very real challenges and difficulties just like these two were, and we have expectations about how Jesus is going to show up in our pain and our problems. And a lot of times we're left feeling disappointed and let down, thinking, Jesus, are you even here? Do you see what's going on? And he's going, yes, I am right here with you. I am so close to you. And I'm not close to being done with your story. But don't be so worried about how you think I should show up that you miss how I am showing up for you in this moment. You know, we often get stuck, I think, in our unmet expectations, and it's really easy to do. And a lot of times we end up in this mind game of of Jesus, I'm following you, but nothing has changed. My life is still hard. It doesn't look like I thought it was going to be. And he's looking at us and he's saying, but everything has changed. You have a new life He never, ever told us that this world was going to be easy and it was going to be problem-free. He told his disciples, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. But the truth is, a lot of times we look at our circumstances and it just doesn't feel like that, right? But he wants to speak a new truth and a new life over your circumstances. So in those moments when you feel like your marriage is falling apart and you don't know if they love you anymore, he says to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I am a God who wants to bring healing and restoration. In those moments when we're sick or we have a loved one who's sick, he's saying, I am here with you. Do not be afraid. By my stripes, you are healed. I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and someday there will be no more pain and no more death. But the situation that I'm facing is just so big and I don't know if I can do it. Well, you're right, but it is not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I have overcome the world so you can do all things through me and I will give you strength. That is the truth of the resurrection that we get to live in. I love how the message puts this in Paul's letter to the Colossians. It says this, 
in verse one, it says, so if you're serious about putting on a new life, about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That is where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible, the spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you show up to the real you, the glorious you. So when we have an awareness of the risen Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. Our circumstances might not, but everything changes in me. That is what he does. So back to the question I asked earlier, what keeps your eyes from recognizing the risen Jesus right in front of you in your life? Let's go back to the friends who are walking down the road with Jesus. So they just recounted all the things that had happened. And so Jesus starts to talk with them. And it says that he keeps walking down the road with them towards Emmaus. And he goes back and reminds them all the things that he's taught them before. He teaches them all the way back from the things of Moses to how it led up to his death. I love this about Jesus. This is something that is just so beautiful. He's so kind. He's so kind. He doesn't show up to these people who are struggling and sad and go, hello, do you not see me? He just walks with them patiently, quietly, in their grief and their distraction until they are ready to see him and to recognize him. So they get to Emmaus. And Jesus acts like he's going to leave, but they say, no, 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 please just come with us. Come and stay with us a little bit longer. And then we're going to pick up in verse 30. It says this. So he went indoors to stay with them, with them. And then it happened while he was sitting at table with them. He took the loaf, gave thanks, broke it and passed it to them. And then their eyes opened wide and they knew him, but he vanished from their sight And then they said to each other, weren't our hearts glowing while he was with us on the road? And he made the scriptures so plain to us. There's that awe and wonder when we recognize Jesus in the midst of whatever it is that we're experiencing. You know one thing that I appreciate about God so much? He knows that we're forgetful. (laughs) He knows we're forgetful. He knows that We are forgetful people who need constant reminders of the things that he does so that we can maintain that awe and wonder and see him. And so he gives us reminders. That's why we do communion. That's why we gather here every week to remind each other and to remind ourselves about how good he is and what Jesus has done. And he doesn't beat us over the head with it or shame us. He simply invites us and reminds us Do you remember what I've done for you? Do you remember how much I love you? Don't forget what I say about you. It isn't a list of shoulds. It's an invitation. 
And I love how Mike Cosper puts it in his book. He says, remember, we live in a world where a resurrection happened. It is a call back to an enchanted world where such a thing as a resurrection of God's only son isn't just possible, it's real in every moment. In that world, we can marvel at what God has made and what he is doing all around us. We are invited to pay attention to the enchanted world around us in a new way and be open to the possibility of an encounter with God in every moment. You know what, there's really, really good news about this. I have not at all figured out how to live a life totally in awe and wonder, but we can grow in it. We can cultivate a sense of awe and wonder in our lives. And so here's what I wanna challenge you all to do this week. I'm gonna give you three things. And if you just do one of them, I think you will begin to have a deeper sense of awe and wonder in your life this week. So maybe this week, first thing you can do is just create some space. Maybe you just need to make some space. We will not experience awe and wonder if we are not present to do so. So maybe you just need to put away the to-do list for an hour one morning or five minutes each day and just create some space and invite Jesus into that moment and say, Jesus, help me to see you. Jesus, help me to remember you. Maybe you just need to create some space. Or maybe, second challenge, maybe you just need to practice gratitude. I think personally, I think gratitude and the sense of awe and wonder are like inseparable. I think they go together. And I think when we practice being grateful, we become so much more aware of the things that God is doing and the, and the blessings that he has given us in our lives. And so maybe you end every day by identifying a few things that you're grateful for. You just do it that way, intentionally. Maybe you sit down with someone and you tell somebody your story of faith and how Jesus has saved you and what he's done in your life so that you remind yourself, but begin to practice that gratitude. I, I saw this quote from a woman named Rita uh, uh, Shiano, excuse me, and she said, talking about our problems is our greatest addiction. Break the habit and talk about your joys. So practice that sense of gratitude. And third option, this week is gonna be beautiful, right? It's gonna be gorgeous, guys, it's gonna be 90 degrees, yes. Go outside this week. There is something peaceful and awe-inspiring about just being outside. This week, even I, as I was prepping for this message, I was totally stressed out. And so one night I took Harvey outside and I popped him in a stroller and we went for a run. And have you noticed the trees lately? They're beautiful. And I was so busy, I almost missed them. We stopped, you're gonna laugh at me, we stopped at one point and I took him out of his stroller and there was this giant ant city. It wasn't just a hill, it was a whole city. And so we stopped for a good 10 minutes and examined the ins and outs of all these little ants that were crawling along on the ground. I probably will never do this again. You're probably like, this is anxiety inducing. Don't talk about this. But for me in this moment, seeing it through the eyes of my two-year-old son, it's like, this is incredible. Our God makes things like that. And he makes you with the same attention to detail. And so the truth is we can learn, like the author of Hebrews says, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What if we were to do this this week? What if we were begin to practice this gratitude and cultivate the sense of awe and wonder? You know what would happen? 
the things that hold us so tightly to this world, they might still happen, but you know what's, what's gonna happen in us? Those things will begin to loose their hold on us. When we live in the light and the reality and the awe of wonder of Jesus Christ, we will begin to walk freer. The truth is we are resurrection people. We are people of the resurrection and we get to walk every single day with Jesus who loves you, who died for you, who redeemed you, who says you are a masterpiece. We get to walk every day with the God of the universe, the fire breathing God of the universe who opens up his mouth and things like sun and planets are born who designs trees and plants and leaves with incredible detail, who carves mountains and rivers and canyons and plains with his fingers. That is the God that we get to do life with. He is incredible and unfathomable and he loves you. And that is amazing. So the challenge today, don't lose the wonder. Don't lose it. And when you do, because we will, we just remind ourselves we get around other people who can remind us. So we're going to do that as we close. We're going to practice cultivating this sense of awe and wonder and gratitude. And we're going to sing one other song. And I would just invite you in this moment to push pause on everything and just say, Jesus, I want to see you. Help me to recognize you standing before me as we live in awe and wonder. You've been listening to Angie Addy with the message, Awe and Wonder. Thanks for listening.